I'm finding that investors, it's a relationship that's harder to get out of than a marriage. (laughs) So be very, very careful. I mean, money is always available. You will find it, believe it or not, it really is. But finding the right money, it could not be more important. Kim Malek is the CEO and co-founder of Salt & Straw, an e-commerce and physical ice cream scoop shop with a cult following. Kim's idea for a local community gathering space and unique ice cream experience came to her from her years of experience working with large food companies, but she never took that leap. Then one day, she just got started, and today Salt & Straw has 36 locations and ships your favorite flavors nationally. Coming up, Kim shares how her journey as an early employee at Starbucks led her to finally start her business. The lesson you need to understand in order to scale your business. How Kim funded her startup in the early days. And finally, the best investment you can make in your business today. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. So many of us have ideas for businesses, but often we don't start them because we either don't know where to start or we feel like we have to have absolutely everything figured out before we start. And after mentoring so many women over the years, I've always shared the advice to just get started. So we've created a new segment on our show in partnership with Square for you to hear the actionable steps that founders took when they were ready to turn their idea into a business. And so you can see that it is possible for you to just get started started to. Kim, I am so excited to sit down with you and have this conversation. We were just chatting for a moment before we started recording, but I literally live for ice cream. Like that is my favorite food group, if you will. And I've always wondered about the back-end business model of how do you build a profitable, sustainable ice cream business? Because I'm a great consumer. I'll eat ice cream all day long, but building a business around it, I cannot wait to hear your whole story and journey. So thank you for spending the afternoon with me, Kim. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. You're our people. So this should be so fun. I am. And you know, if I didn't continue to build our social media agency and entrepreneurista, Courtney told me years ago, she's like, I think you should just be an ice cream influencer. So uh, Can we say that? Yes. <laughs> I'm telling okay, you, I, used to, I was always posting my ice cream food. Now I actually, I'm like back into it now because now I'm going always going out to ice cream with my four-year-old. So we're, we're always posting our ice cream adventures every weekend. So, <laughs> well, I think we could fit you in a little spare time. We could pull you in. Come on. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I would love to know, did you always know when you were growing up that you wanted to start your own business one day? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I kind of did. I remember I grew up in Billings, Montana And um, I was at a summer camp, probably like in sixth grade or something, and we had a break and we were sitting outside in the grass. And I can remember thinking and dreaming up specifically that I wanted to open a coffee shop within a bookstore. And I'm old. (laughs) So this is before, you know, the days of like Starbucks on every corner and things like that. And I actually told the woman who was running the camp later that 
I wanted to do this and that this was my dream. And I think I've always just really been inspired by like that idea of community. That's what's always really inspired me and, and what was behind that even really early dream. Did you, you know, start like side businesses and hustles when you were a child or teenager? I wasn't starting my own business, but I was, I mean, I was working the minute I could work. I didn't have one job. I had two and mm-hmm. I was always working, working, working. And, um, any kind of piece of advice someone sh- would give me, I'd run after it as fast as I could. Um, so I'm, I, I, I love to work and, and was always kind of soaking that up. What was your career trajectory like before you started your business? Yeah, well, so right as I graduated from college, I got a job at a really small company and my parents felt kind of bad for me because they thought I didn't get a very good job coming out of college. Ironically, (laughs) given the dream I just told you about I had when I was in sixth grade, the small company was Starbucks Coffee. So there were 30 stores at the time. It was really small. And I was working in the communications and marketing department. So I worked there. The company was just kind of getting off the ground. And I had this incredible, you know, chance to be part of this really small team that was, you know, communicating what a latte was. No one had heard of that and figuring out how to pick new markets. And I worked there for quite a while, probably about 15 years before I moved um, from Seattle to Portland. And I ended up working for a small company, again, called Garden Burger. And we were a little ahead of our time trying to introduce the idea of plant-based eating. And, you know, this was in the late 1990s. And then, of course, I wanted to pop over to the whole dot-com thing. And so I went to Yahoo to work on our auctions division before returning to Starbucks and then leaving to start my own company. So I, I really... I think one of the sort of throughputs throughout my career was working, even when I was part of bigger organizations, on, you know, smaller initiatives that they were trying to launch and bring to market. So that's always been part of something that's really fascinated me. We call it being an intrapreneurista or intrapreneur within within an organization and working to, like, find these projects to build and... It seems like from, you know, job to job, you were doing those types of things. When did you say, I want to launch my own business? I want to do my own thing. You know, I would always, when we would go to food shows or whenever we were out and about, I was always drawn to the folks who were just getting started and building their own thing. And I was fascinated by them. Like if, if there was a movie star in the room and an entrepreneur who had just sold their business, I would go run over and talk to, to them every time because I just was so interested in you know, how they got where they were. And so what happened, the real story is I had written a business plan kind of actually in the late 90s when I was still with Starbucks um, before I left for an ice cream shop. I knew I could see really clearly that, you know, this idea of community and third place would be just brought to life through ice cream in a really special way. And so I, I wrote that plan and then sort of kept it hidden for years and years as I went on through this varied career that I had and moved back to Portland and the stars sort of aligned to realize this dream. And so I carried it around with me forever. When did you say, now is the time I have to just get started and do it? When I had originally written the plan, I was looking at real estate and my father had actually gone bankrupt running his own company when I was in college. And so as I was going down this journey of thinking about starting my own company, 
it carried a lot of baggage for me. Mm. It was really hard on our family. You know, it sort of fundamentally changed <laughs> my trajectory in life. And um, it really gave me pause. I had a lot of fear around this idea. And so I stopped that search and, you know, went back to kind of my day job to, to, to you know, what seemed safer and um, I was living in Seattle and about to live to New- move to New York City for um, a position. I was working for Red, which is the company Bono started to raise money for AIDS in Africa. And they wanted us to move to New York City. I came back to Portland for a birthday party and uh, met a guy in a bar, which doesn't usually end well. But we ended up falling in love and I moved to Portland instead. We're still together and we have three children. But long story short, we were sitting at the kitchen table one morning and on the front page of the New York Times magazine was this article about Humphrey Slocum ice cream in San Francisco. And you know, we all have that moment where you're like fist to the heaven, like I had that idea. 10 years ago, I wrote a business plan for this and I was so upset. And I remember Mike just looking at me and saying, well, why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you are so passionate and upset and you still are carrying this around with you. And and so that was the kind of the moment that changed everything and sent me on this path of, of actually doing what I'd been dreaming of for probably 15 years. What were some of the first steps that you took when you were ready to move forward full steam ahead? Well, it was funny because it was during the Great Recession So I think interesting parallels to what people are going through right Mm -hmm. now. I didn't have any money whatsoever. And um, so I dusted off that business plan and really got it fine-tuned. And for whatever reason, I sincerely believed that I could take this business plan to a bank and I would get a loan. Mm. During the recession, for an ice cream shop in Portland, Oregon. And I met with several bankers and I really got my business plan in good shape. They were telling me, you know, just lots of feedback and (laughs) no one was going to give me money. I remember I sent it out to a couple of investors. One sent it back to me in the mail, like in in an envelope in the mail. And I opened it up and it had red ink all over it. And across the top, it said, you can't do this. Who do you think you are, Starbucks? And I was like, I I threw it away as fast as I could because, you know, you can't let that, like, negative thought enter into your aura or it'll just, you're already on the edge of, you know, stopping everything. It was funny. I got to tell Howard Schultz that story, like, years and years later. And he was like, I wish you had sent it to me. But, um, you know, so getting that business plan together and getting funding just seemed impossible. And I'm going to tell you something which everybody will say is the worst idea in the world, but... One day I was looking through files in my office and I came across a file that said 401k. (laughs) And I'd spent my whole life in big Fortune 500 companies, always had my 401k going. So um, I cashed it in and took the money and started the company. And again, it was during the recession. People were like, what are you doing? Like, this is such a huge risk. And for me, it was like, Well, a lot of the big companies I just came from are laying people off. So Mm -hmm. there's no sure thing right now anyway. You may as well bet on yourself. And I just kind of always thought, well, it's money. Like I can go make more money Mm -hmm. if I need to. But this I need to do right now. I know that for sure. So that was the first thing I did. I found the money, almost all the money. We were like $40,000 short. And my new boyfriend had to put his house up for uh, collateral. (laughs) To get the loan at the last minute, which he did and made me work extra hard to, you know, be, I was so grateful for those kind of, you know, votes of confidence along the way. 
But funding is so hard. It always is. It's so hard. And, you know, now we help a lot of the founders in our community finding resources for other forms of funding. You know, there's a lot of grants and a lot of grant programs out there now. And, you know, there were grants 10, 20 years ago as well. But now there's a lot. And there's a lot of companies that are doing grant programs as well. And like, that's the best capital you can get because it's free money. You don't have to put your house or your collateral or your life on the line, but you do have to spend the time applying for them. And there's no guarantee that you'll win them. But there are other forms of capital now that were didn't weren't really around as much, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago. But yeah, I mean, you took a big risk and you bet on yourself and it's it's not easy. How did you figure out exactly how much money you needed to be able to fund and start the business? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, like I said, I had this fantastic business plan. And I think all my years in corporate America led me to this good place of having a terrific sense of what it was going to take, you know, to get this up and running. And I was very conservative in terms of, you know, what I thought we would need and um, how to cushion it. And I got a lot of advice. Like, I'm I'm really good at reaching out and networking and, and getting people's opinions Um, sleuthing, you know, to understand kind of what are other benchmarks out there that I can set in the, you know, kind of examples for what I might need to to make this work. So it was pretty well informed by the time we got started and we only beat it like, you know, by a long shot, thank God. But so I, I think, you know, there's this whole idea of, you know, have a passion and follow it and everything will work out. And I do I think there's a lot of truth to that because you have to create this reality as an entrepreneur. At the same time, it has to be really well informed and and doing your diligence could not be more important. And I always talk to people about, you know, there's great resources out there to do that, whether it's like the SBA or, you know, there's tons of, of resources and it seems really intimidating, but it's just one step at a time, mm-hmm. kind of filling this out and documenting it and what you don't know, going out and finding out the answers and, and completing, you know, each step of the way. It's really important. Absolutely. What do you know now that you wish you knew on day one of starting the business? Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, I think one of the things that comes to mind for me, as long as we're on this financial track right now, especially if you're planning to scale a business. So there's like opening one store, one concept, and then there's scaling. Mm -hmm. And I remember people were trying to explain this concept to me, and it's really hard to understand. But, you know, you're bringing money in and money's going out and you need to invest a certain amount to be able to grow. And that's really hard to account for. And I think, especially as entrepreneurs, we're working on mapping that out ourselves and, you know, taking as much of that on um, as we can. But I think investing in some really good expertise and Mm -hmm. partnership in that area to make sure you're on the right track is unbelievably important. So, you know, identifying those partners and resources that you need to put yourself in a safe position as you grow, I think is unbelievably important. Um, And knowing where to invest is really, really hard because you have a limited amount of funds available. So I I think if I could go back in time, I would invest in a really good financial partner earlier, um, Mm -hmm. knowing that we're scaling and we need a, you know, a plan because you learn the hard way and it's, it's more expensive anyway. Yes. It's like good accounting, bookkeeping, legal, financial management. Those are like the most important things you can invest in. And now like there's a lot of fractional 
options as well. Like there's fractional CFOs and COOs. It's so funny. You know, I mentioned earlier that I talked to Howard Schultz and, um, you know, obviously I worked there in the early days and so we know each other and he came and spent the day with me once a few years into the company going. And after we spent um, time together, I was like, now you've seen everything. Like, what do you think we need to be focused on? And, you know, he said, well, HR, like I would really invest in HR. And I was like, God, it's so interesting. Like, I don't even know what that means. So like finance, HR, like these things as an entrepreneur, and I grew up in Fortune 500 companies, but Mm -hmm. when it's all working behind the scenes, you don't really, you don't know what it is. You know, you're not intimately um, familiar with it. And so I know it sounds really boring and maybe not super inspirational, but these kind of like basic resources that you need in place to get those defined and, you know, just kind of set that foundation in a really solid way. I mean, here's the thing, like I had this dream and this vision and it just out of the gates really took off and was soaring. And I had a lot of people come to me and say like, like keep focused on that because the rest of this, like, someone else, like you can get people to optimize and you can get people to do all of that. Like stay really focused on, on what you know is special and what Mm -hmm. you bring as an entrepreneur. And so for me or for someone who's creating this really special thing in the world, anything you can do to really stay focused on that and what you're really good at and bring in resources to take care of some of this other stuff is it's hard to do as an entrepreneur. And it's really important to do because it's what will separate you from everybody else and really ensure your your trajectory continues. I couldn't agree more. It is like the most important thing. Focus on what you are great at and what you have the talent to do and where your zone of genius is and outsource the rest, but know enough about those things so you can oversee it. Stay so close to them and make sure you know when you're learning every step of the way what's going on. So like it's not out of sight, out of mind. I remember I had a coach, Danny Meyer, who started Shake Shack as one of our investors and his chief of staff will meet with me periodically. And when we first started working together, he was like, let's get really clear of what your like secret sauce is, what you're really the best at. And because we were working on an org design to kind of like, who should we, how should we, you know, organize who, what positions do we need? And it was such a hard conversation to me to, for me to have, because as an entrepreneur, you're like, well, I can do anything. I'm happy to, I do it all. And he was the first person who really got me thinking about the value that I bring to the organization and how important it is to stay focused on that because you feel like you're such a servant to your company mm-hmm. that you want to do everything. And, and you don't want to be pretentious or precious about what you do. You want to be a team player and do everything, but you actually end up doing the company a disservice if you don't get really clear about that. So that was a, a great piece of advice that I got. What are the areas of the business that you love working in? Like where is your zone of genius? So I'm definitely about the vision and the people and the marketing and the real estate. So how are we going to show up in the world? And and how are we going to make a difference in the world? Because otherwise, I don't want to do this. Like, I didn't cash in everything and show up to start doing this to, you know, put a, a few dollars in my bank account. I mean, there were probably a lot better ways to do that. We wanted to use ice cream as a platform to really make a difference in the world through the kind of employer we are and through the kind of partner we are with our, you know, suppliers and artisans and in the neighborhoods that we're in. And so, you know, my ability to really focus on that is important. 
I didn't ask you. When Howard Schultz said, focus on HR, like, what did you do when Howard told you what you should be doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was so funny because I did say to him, like, see, that's interesting because what does that mean? And he said, oh, my God. So even more so, go go figure that out. You know, his whole thing was, and what I came to learn was, again, just kind of like the finance, like it's the technical side of the business in terms of making sure I was always great about, you know, communication and benefits and taking care of people like that side of HR comes naturally to me. But all of the sort of laws, regulations, the really technical side, I mean, the fact is you just don't know what you don't know. Mm Until you learn the hard way, if you don't, no yeah, one tells you. You do not want to learn the hard way is what he was trying to tell me. And so, so we went out and, and hired a really fantastic person. And even right now, I'd say we just coming out of the pandemic decided to sort of upgrade on our people, the people side of our business. And um, so I hired a chief people officer and for a business our size Everyone around me was just looking at me kind of side-eyed, like, what, you're spending too much money, this is over-hiring for what you need, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and I just knew in my heart, like, no, this is, like, this is what differentiates us, and so I I will spend more on that key hire than I would even on marketing or some of these other things, and it's paid off in dividends. Like, Mm -hmm. he, he, like, you hear HR can be, like, a great business partner, and he is. Like, he's Mm -hmm. the first person I go to on business issues. Obviously, people are central to the conversations we have, but, but yeah, it's been great. How big is your team now and how many stores do you have? (laughs) So we have 36 stores and all in we have about 1,500 team members. So our like our support center here in Portland is around 50. And then we have a kitchen where we make all of our ice cream, which is like 150. And then the rest of our team, like our stores have about 35 people each. So it's a big team. Do you ever just like pause and stop and say like, wow, I did this? I'm terrible at that. I'm terrible. I'm not very good at that. Well, let's do it. Let's do it right now. Take a moment. (laughs) It is seriously incredible all that you have accomplished. And I'm just already, I'm just picturing you finding that piece of paper with your 401k and cashing it out and praying like this was all going to work. And here you are now with, 30 plus stores and 1500 employees like that is incredible. Ah, it's such an honor. It's such an honor. And to be in places like Disney that I think are like the fabric of, you know, our country. And my biggest dream is just that we'll be a place for generations where people come and make memories. And it's an honor. What year was it that you opened in Disney Springs? Oh, it was right about only two years ago. Okay. Not That's even amazing. two years ago, a year and a half, a year and a half. So right during the pandemic, because what you want to do during a pandemic is open as far away <laughs> from your headquarters as possible. Seems like the best idea, right? Uh, oh, it was a little stressful, but you know. <laughs> That's what we do as uh, entrepreneurs. We uh, just try to find all the problems and solve them. <laughs> How are we going to make things hard for ourselves and then figure, we can it out? figure this out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I am so excited to go to your store this August when we go. I There's another ice cream store at Disney Springs that I grew up going to as a child before you now opened your store. And I all the memories that I made there, now I can take my daughter to your store to make all her memories there. So I'm so excited. 
I love that. You have to send me pictures. I promise you. you. I will. Got to get yourself Everett. I will. I will text you all of the photos. I want to hear about the process of scaling a brick and mortar business. And then now you have e-commerce as well. So you ship all over the, all over the country. Do you ship all over the world or just all over the country? Country. Country. Okay. I won't make it that hard for you now on this episode. (laughs) I don't know. Food outside of the U.S., they make it real tricky on dry eyes. I'm sure. Up next, get ready to hear the shocking story when Kim opens her first store. Tell me the process of what happened over the course of the first few years scaling multiple stores. And how did you know when it was time to raise capital? Because you ultimately did raise capital for the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are great questions. So the growing part and then the capital part. So we had our one store on Alberta Street. I always tell the story that I wasn't even there on opening day because I was so worried we wouldn't make any money that I was off catering a wedding. <laughs> In the wine country, which is like not very close here in Portland. And I remember I got a phone call from a friend of mine and she was an old colleague of mine and a bunch of my friends had come from Seattle actually. And she said, you better get back here because it's really busy and we're all working because you don't have enough people. (laughs) And I came back and it was just mobbed, mobbed. So we quickly hired, you know, as many people as we could and got everyone trained and up and running. And we were just, you know, kind of holding on for dear life as, as, as this went forward. And, you know, no one feels sorry for you when you come out of the gates really strong like that, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. And as things were proceeding, another site came available across town and listen, I had, I'd maxed out my credit cards. Like I had no money, but they contacted us and it was this old corner in Portland that used to be kind of like one of the original coffee shops mm. in town. And people just, I mean, it, they flowed out to the sidewalks. It was like the place to be seen in and the epitome of a community gathering place. And it had fallen into disrepair and wasn't that anymore. But I knew if that was our mission, we have to do this location. And so all of our friends and family came together to kind of help us come up with the money. And we we were able to get that store open. So then we had to, I went to look at a location by my house that was sort of Portland's gourmet, like Pock Pock was there. And a lot of the original Portland restaurant scene had started on the street and this great location was coming. So it was very organic in Mm -hmm. the early days. And then we got a call one day from this woman in LA who runs Jones on third. And she said, we'd like to sell your ice cream. We've tasted all the ice cream that we can and yours is the best. And we were like in Los Angeles, like, I don't know how we would do that. But of course, you know, we wanted to talk to them. And so my cousin and I, and he makes all the ice cream. He's a fantastic business partner. He and I flew down to LA. And by the end of the meeting, we were like, we're going to do this. We love you so much. And we figured it out. And and that was kind of our introduction to LA. Mm-hmm. Um, we started making ice cream flavors in collaboration of kind of local artisans in LA and And next thing we knew, of course, we were looking at real estate and it just, we kind of just had organically opened over the years. And then I got a phone call from a restaurateur in LA who happened to be visiting Portland. And he was like, I love what you're doing and I want to meet you. And next thing I know, he's bringing Alan Karp, who owns a really large national investment firm, mostly investing in restaurants and things like that. And I didn't know anything about (laughs) 
investors or, you know, that whole world was totally foreign to me. But we have dinner and, you know, go to our stores. And I really like this guy. And so over a matter of a couple of years, we would meet up from time to time. And Alan would give me, you know, his thoughts about things. And he was really helpful. And so when it was time, like I'd been taking out bank loans and it was getting really stressful. Mm. And they kept upping the ante in terms of what, you know, <laughs> I had to put on the line to qualify for all these loans. And I mean, I wasn't sleeping much because it was we were just getting to the point where it felt really risky. And if anything were to go wrong, I had a lot to lose personally. Mm-hmm. And so we had these bank loans and we could keep going down that path. I had met some folks in Portland who could help us, you know, kind of cobble together an investment But, you know, they weren't from the restaurant industry. And I left all of those conversations feeling like, oh, I just took a lot of time explaining to them what's going on versus Alan. I just felt inspired every time Mm -hmm. I left and really supported. And I had also come to learn like we're really closely aligned from a values perspective in terms of what we want to leave as a legacy in the world. And that was really important to me too. And so, you know, I talked to him about making an investment after we'd gotten to know each other for a couple of years and he did, which is a big deal. They're an incredible firm. And wouldn't you know it, like right as we were closing the deal, my idol, Danny Meyer, (laughs) who I had also gotten to know over a matter of a couple of years, started an investment firm and also invested, uh, offered to invest in us. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, I really want to work with you and we're already doing this deal. And so it's an embarrassment of riches, but you know, we were, Alan was so kind and able to kind of work out a deal where they could come on board a couple of years later. So those were our two, or are our two investors that we have. That's amazing. Congratulations, because you had a lot on the line. And I'm just like, again, like the stories you're telling picturing you having these sleepless nights. I mean, like anything can happen in business. And when you're like house and livelihood and 401k and everything is on the line and all you want to do is build these businesses to then, you know, realize you've built these amazing relationships over the years. And these incredible people in the restaurant industry have money they want to invest to help grow. Like you just like knew it was the right time to just do it. That's exactly right. I think you, I think, you know, a lot of people were really pushing me like, don't give up equity and you only have four stores. Don't bring in, you know, you can do it. Keep going with the bank and don't bring in an investor. And I was like, you know, you could hold your bag, your little bag so close to your chest and then you open it up and there's nothing in it. Like you've, you've just, you know, or you can grow the pie and, and everyone wins. And I think if you bring the right people in along the way, they make sure that, you know, you feel good about it, which my partners always have. And I don't regret it at all. That's amazing. And and so great to hear because a lot of people like learn the hard way and bring on the wrong investors or didn't know enough before they, you know, brought investors onto their cap table. So I'm finding that investors, it's a relationship that's harder to get out of than a marriage. (laughs) So be very, very careful. I mean, money is always available. You will find it, believe it or not, it really is. But finding the right money, it could not be more important. Very important. Coming up, learn Kim's strategies for how to negotiate with big companies while staying true to your brand and mission. I have a follow-up question about Disney, and then I need to get into like the actual business of ice cream. But with Disney, 
How did that relationship happen? I know like so many of, you know, even the founders in our community want to get, you know, a store there or their products sold in stores in Disney. Like, how did you do it? How did you get in there? It's a great story. So we actually got a phone call from Disney. Apparently, um, the gentleman who was running downtown Disney at the time was a customer of ours at our Venice store in Los Angeles. And he was very passionate about salt and straw. And so when it was time to bring in a new ice cream shop, he insisted that we be included in the consideration set. So we put together our presentation and, you know, did all this work flew our little team down to Disney. And at the time, we probably had five stores. We're very small. We're still very small, but we were very small for Disney. And little did we know, and thank God we didn't know, everybody else in the room was really bummed that we were taking up their time with this presentation because they were like, what is this little company? They're wasting our time. They're not going to be able to do it. But Todd's insisting. And so they took the meeting. And of course, when Disney has a meeting, there's, you know, 30 people in the room. And it was supposed to be like an hour and a half. And it ended up going three hours. And we went into detail on everything. And they were doing site visits. I think three days later, they called us and said, you got the site. You got the site. And they were asking us, you know, like, how are you going to do this level? They kept saying, white glove level of service at our volume. And and we were like, we do really high volumes. Like it might not feel that way because we have such a special model of hospitality and we put so much thought and care into the way that we've crafted this. But, you know, once they got in and got a look at it, they were like, oh yeah, you can handle it. Little did we know this little tiny company is doing something we've never seen before. So we opened, we were getting ready to open. First of all, we were in the contract and this is one of my favorite stories. And I think it really speaks to as an entrepreneur, how do you stay true to your values as you grow? So our head of operations, Casey, who'd been with us from the beginning, when we were doing our negotiations, she kept saying, is Disney going to be okay with our sort of lack of dress code and the way our team looks because, you know, you can, a key value for us is, you know, you come as you are and you feel safe at work and we celebrate the individual. And so people have blue hair, face piercings, tattoos, you know, they, we don't have a dress code. And Casey kept asking me, are they going to be okay? And I'm like, Casey, do you know how hard it is to negotiate a contract with Disney? Like I can't, I'm barely getting through these business terms. I can't talk about that. So she kept bringing it up, and finally I asked them, and they said, no, it's not okay. You cannot have hair colorings, face piercings, tattoos. You have to have a dress code. And I was like, Ugh! I wish I had asked that sooner because that is a non-negotiable for us. We have to... <sighs> Well, we kind of took a break from negotiations for a little bit and they said, well, we'll go talk about it. And I said, well, I think, you know, I don't want to say it's a deal breaker, but it's kind of, it's a deal breaker and I don't, I don't know what to do here. And so we went back and forth kind of showing what this was going to be like and why it was important. And they ended up agreeing to it. And so I'm standing there the day before we open and the president of Disneyland, his name is Josh. He was standing there and I remember he said to me, so is this what they're going to be wearing? Is this what they're going <laughs> to? And little, you know, we didn't know, like behind the scenes, they're freaking out. And they told us later they were having all these meetings about it. And because it's a big change for their company. And about maybe a month later, I got invited to a meeting with Josh, a private meeting in his office, the president. And he said, 
First of all, I want to tell you, we are pretty sure you're the busiest ice cream shop in the world. Like this is, we've never seen anything like this. And he said, number two, like your team is just so happy and fantastic. And he's like, that's a big compliment from us because we we're pretty good at that, you know? And so we talked a lot about this kind of way of thinking. They now allow that for all of their on-property companies and they've, they've changed the policy overall, which, you know, I feel really proud about because I think being a, you know, a team member in these environments, it's really old school that you're like a cog in the wheel. It's, you're you and you want to show up as you and that's important. And they share that philosophy, but they weren't, you know, no one had really pushed them to, to live it in these sort of modern times. And so Disney's just been great. They've made us better. We've, you know, hopefully had an impact on them. And, you know, we then grew to open in, in Florida with them and hopefully there'll be more because they are, it's an honor. It's doesn't even explain how wonderful we feel. Well, coming from a Disney person who (laughs) lives and breathes Disney, especially with my little one. It's uh, amazing. And congratulations and sticking to your values and making those changes there. That's truly, truly incredible. And I'm now counting down the days. I cannot wait to get to, to your store over there. But with all of the expansion you have coming up, May I request that you come to Palm Beach Gardens? There is a great, great... Are you looking there? Because there's a great shopping center a mile from my house that I think you would be perfect in. There's no ice cream store and there's a spot for you. (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk after because I am looking. So I would absolutely love that. Please, please, I'll I'll show you. I'll tell you exactly where to go. And uh, (laughs) I'll I'll draw up all the business. There'll be lines out the door. (laughs) (laughs) So Kim... I would love to hear. So there's a lot of founders in our community that have food businesses, some that are thinking about starting food businesses. And there's a lot of learnings and logistics and things that go on behind the scenes running a food operation. Can you share some of your learning lessons, especially for founders that are thinking about starting a food operations business now? Yeah, um, it's interesting. We just started this this past year. um, We're picking one... um, new food company in Portland who's just getting off the ground and we're kind of doing a little incubator program with them. Um, So we're buying ingredients from them to feature in our ice cream and then we're helping them with all the elements that you need to get up and running. And, you know, for food, one of the big things that we find with food companies, especially nowadays, is even just the, you know, purchasing logistics, food safety, transportation, all of that is so complex nowadays. And, you know, you have this great product, (laughs) this beautiful product, and all the things that it takes to kind of get it where it needs to be is unbelievable. And, you know, you, I think one of the reasons you started this podcast was you're asked all the time to have coffee and have lunch and, and figure this out. I think, you know, as you're starting a food organization, really spending a lot of time doing a deep dive into what it's going to take to get your logistics up and running and how you can go above and beyond on your food safety. Because that's just, it's not, again, like HR, it's not something people think about until they learn the hard way. And, you know, it, it seems like, oh, yeah, gosh, they're really overly strict on this or that, or that seems onerous. And getting really smart about that stuff and not cutting any corners. You know, entrepreneurs are big, uh, broad brush thinkers. <laughs> and surrounding, you know, yourself with someone who's really, really good at some of those elements, I think cannot be understated. And then I also think, you know, one of the things we did early that I'm really grateful about is to 
be thoughtful as you're creating your business plan about how you're going to go about sourcing. And so that goes from who are you going to source from and, and partner with? You know, we were really intentional about working with women and BIPOC um, communities from the very beginning, making sure that we're investing and in helping them get the resources that they need to service our business and being that true partner at the table sustainability, you know, building that into your business plan so that, you know, you're making that into the pricing early on and then charging accordingly. So, you know, you don't have to go back in time and figure all that out, but set that up up front. And then I know we talked about having a business plan at the start, but I, I just think it's so important in having those right partners in place. Did you follow your business plan like to a T? Like, is your plan now what you thought it was going to be when you had it hidden in your drawer for 10 years? <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but um, the business plan was for one store. That's probably the biggest departure. I sincerely was not planning to open multiple locations. But, you know, for the most part, we did. I mean, we had a lot of detail around, and I say we because my cousin Tyler came and, and joined me as I was starting the company, but a lot of detail around how we were going to go about setting up suppliers, how we were going to think about paying people benefits, what it was going to be like to work for the company, what our customer experience was going to be like. Those things we were very thoughtful about, and we, we have stayed really true to that. What is the craziest thing that's happened to you since starting the business? Oh, the craziest thing. Oh, good or bad, I wonder. Um, no. <laughs> Tell me both. both. <laughs> I think that probably opening in Disney was pretty crazy and mind-blowing. I think taking on the investors that we did, especially Danny Meyer, was pretty mind-blowing. Like, you're, I'm almost just like, is this a dream that I get to do this, that I get to work with these people? And it's just really, really fun. I think it goes back to that idea of being really intentional. Like I knew what kind of investors I wanted and I I, I cultivated that over a number of years. And so it, it feels crazy. In the really early days, one story that always comes to mind that I think just was kind of rocketed us in a different direction. So we started actually as a food cart. We were a little food cart. It was a push cart. And while I was working at the cart scooping ice cream, we got a call from the Wall Street Journal. And they said, can you, I want to write a story about your ice cream. I was in Portland. I tried it. But my editor wants you to have national distribution. And I remember I was like, I can touch both sides of my little cart right now. I think my cousin just pulled up in his blue Subaru with a cooler on the roof. Like, that's what we're doing right now. And you want me to have national distribution. And she said, well, could you could ship it? And I said, oh, I'm sure we could figure that out. <laughs> and so she said, okay, you've got a week. The story's going to run in a week. No, two weeks. You have two weeks. So we, like, figured, like, got a Yahoo store. What year was this? 2011. Okay. Yahoo store. We Googled it. You start a Yahoo store, and you can ship anything you want. So we're shipping ice cream. We're shipping it on dry ice. The story runs. We get all these orders. We ship them out. It all melted. Because we, we didn't know, we did it wrong. And so we had to reship it, which at that point in the company's history could really, you know, it was a lot of money. It really could have been problematic. So then a couple of weeks later, we got a call from Oprah Magazine and they wanted to feature us as one of their favorite things. And we were just opening our first store and we sent the ice cream to them. It did not melt, but we got a call 
a couple days later saying, we're about to go into the tasting and your ice cream's not here. And we're like, no, we sent it. And we checked the address and they said, oh, it's wrong. The address is wrong, which by the way was their fault, but we're not going <laughs> to. So this is Oprah's people. Oprah's team. It was her people. I'm not, don't repeat that. You might have to edit that out. We love them and they, they could do no wrong. So we found it at a UPS location not far from their office. We got through to the UPS location. That's a miracle in itself. Intern, well, nowadays you couldn't do that. Probably they got an intern to bring it. UPS. They should have a commercial about this. UPS should. They got it there in time for the tasting and it was in the issue as one of her favorite things. So I just like we had a couple really early press hits. There were a few more that were sort of like mind blowing. Were all these press hits just happening organically from people just hearing about it word of mouth? Or did you have a PR company reaching out? Well, yeah, that kind of links back to my earlier statement about surrounding yourself with the right people and paying for the resources that you think you need to run the business. And I have a background in marketing. And so I always said as I was starting, like, well, one thing I'm not going to pay for is, you know, PR and marketing. And pretty quickly, I realized as the founder, like you're busy buying toilet paper and, you know, making sure light bulbs aren't out and you don't have time (laughs) to do PR and marketing. And so I was introduced to this woman and within about 24 hours, she stopped me from doing something that I was going to do that was really not the right thing to do. And then very quickly thereafter, you know, she was the one kind of out there getting the word out and people naturally gravitated toward it because especially during that time, no one was doing what we were doing. It was very unique. And we had so many stories because we were all about collaborating, which was about community, which is why I started the company. And so it was just a very unique, you know, thing for people to be covering. And we got a lot of, a lot of incredible attention. No, that's amazing. Well, we had to work for it. It was funny. Like you're, you know, like you're jumping off a cliff and you'll just figure it out as you go. Totally. <laughs> that, and I say, like, if you don't have that mentality of that mindset, like starting a business might not be for you because that's what you literally have to do every single day. And you got the high, high, low lows, everything in between over the course of one hour during a day. <laughs> you're exactly right. And I mean, any sane person would have said, no, we can't have national distribution. Or, well, shoot, we missed, you know, we didn't get it there. But there's just this kind of drive in you to say, never say never. And, you know, we'll figure it out. Which is a balance when it comes to, you know, working with a team and you start to scale and, you know, what's reasonable. But you got to have that in you. I agree. Totally. Totally. Well, Kim, I know we could sit and chat. The whole yeah. rest of the, the yeah. afternoon. Um, but, and we'll talk. I would love yes, we, we definitely will. Well, we're going to go on a real estate tour, right? Yes, Palm Beach Gardens. Come on down. <laughs> I'm going to get you the name of uh, where I think you should be. So I will get all the info for you because I will, I'll be there every day with uh, my daughter and we'll bring everyone there. Oops, I, I just got so excited. I just almost knocked over my water. That's how excited <laughs> I would be for you to be there. Because my husband and I talk about it all the time. We're like, how is there not... There's not an ice cream shop within like two miles of where we live in Florida. Let's fix we that. Dri- we drive 15 minutes every weekend to get ice cream. Every weekend we drive 15 minutes. That neighborhood needs an ice cream shop. I know. It's very important. So we're going to make it happen. You heard it here on the Entrepreneurista podcast where we're doing it. And we're going to go talk to UPS too. And let's tell the story. Let's make we're gonna, let's make a commercial. I think uh, I we've got all the, <laughs> all the things coming up for the story. I know. It's amazing. I love it. Kim, my last question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Oh, 
You know, when I hear that word, it reminds me of the first time I told someone I wanted to open an ice cream shop. And as I've said, I carried this dream around with me forever and didn't do it. And I think, you know, if you think about women, whether it's in business or politics or sports or, you know, we are such perfectionists. And I think being an entrepreneurista nowadays means finding your voice and sharing it with the world. It was so hard for me to do it. I think it's so hard for women to do it. Like my entrepreneurial brethren, the guys in the room will say like, I woke up with the best idea and I can't wait to share it with the world. It's so brilliant. And then the women are so often like, I'm going to work and perfect this and it's not ready and I'm not going to tell anyone. And You know, I think we really are at this point where we're finding our voice and you're doing such a great job, you know, helping us put out all of this incredible energy and ideas because I think women have to be at the table as part of this. It's so important. And so finding our voice and sharing it is kind of, I think, this next chapter in in the evolution. And it's really exciting. So I'm so glad to be here and I'm glad you're doing this and I can't wait to talk more. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you and love everything that you shared. And your story is so inspirational and so helpful just to hear all of your learning lessons. So thank you for spending your afternoon with me, Kim. Where can everyone find you, follow you, buy all of your ice cream, either online or in stores? Where are you? And we will link out to everything in the show notes below. So everyone listening right now can click right through and go order some ice cream tonight. Yeah, no kidding. So saltandstraw.com and you will deliver it to your house either in the mail or through instant delivery. But mostly we'd love to see you in one of our shops. We're up and down the West Coast and in Florida. So yeah, we'd love to we'd love to see you and share a cone. Thank you, Kim, for being here. I'm Stephanie and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Thank you.